Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb, and another sort of COVID-19 special episode where I'm just going to dip in and have a conversation with a past guest about how the last few weeks have been and the impact on their business. Uh, And this episode, I'm chatting to Guy Singh Watson from Riverford Organics, and they are the box delivery people. So rather than being the sort of, you know, the restaurateurs on the front line, I thought it'd be good to chat to somebody whose business has presumably been impacted in a positive way. Um, because Guy, you know, works with with local farmers down in, uh, in in Devon and a little bit in France in making sure that food gets delivered directly to the consumer by passing the supermarkets. And I thought it'd be interesting to chat about somebody who really was facing the disaster of being too busy, almost, rather than being too quiet, and whether that uplift in business could be sustained. Uh, and when I chatted to Guy last time, we spoke about how uh, he'd become an employee-owned company, and I was very interested to find out that in a in a challenge like this, and when there's a big test on the company... Did that sort of new approach to ownership work or did it require a sort of, you know, more traditional approach to management? Uh, I'm also aware that Guy is a huge environmentalist. He's got a great YouTube series called Guy Rants where he chats about the impact that farming and, and humanity in general, I suppose, is having an impact on the environment. Uh, and I knew he'd have a perspective on the sort of positives that might come out of the, uh, the, the sort of slowdown, I suppose, of humanity and the impact that's having on the environment. Uh, and I also knew that uh, Guy was a big sort of fan of simplicity last time we spoke and how that uh, to compete with the supermarkets and some of the other online providers of food recently, uh, he's had to really make his offering much more complex. So I was keen as a customer to see some of the changes that they were making in simplifying the offer and almost going back to the original days of veg box delivery to find out about you know why those decisions were being made and the impact of them and again whether he thought those would be long term and whether that might be a sort of long-term benefit I guess to humanity and we also touch on this idea of the land army there's been a lot of publicity about how farmers were going to struggle to pick the vegetables as we come into the the height of the UK growing season and how he's coping without being able to bring over the sort of normal eastern Europeans who would help with that uh, and whether he was confident and positive about the UK being able to be a little bit more self-sufficient so uh, yeah really hope you enjoy the conversation I think we touch on lots of important issues issues and um, remember if you can please go to patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality if you can support this podcast by becoming uh, a patron it would be hugely appreciated since I used to pay for it few through my uh, restaurants and bars down in Bournemouth but they are all closed so keeping it on the air uh, is a little bit more of a challenge so your your support would be appreciated okay thanks so much and I very much hope you enjoy this week's episode Guy from Riverford, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hugely appreciated. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. It's a lovely sunny day. I'm about to go and plant artichokes, so I'm fairly happy. Perfect. Good. Well, you and I had a chat a fair few months ago, uh, pre-corona, and I just wanted to catch up with you today about sort of the impacts of, of the coronavirus, and I've got some specific questions. But before we start, can you just explain to people listening who don't know you, um, what do Riverford do, please? Um, Riverford is uh, a veg box scheme. We're the largest home delivery of organic vegetable boxes delivering to 60, well now I think 70,000 households a week. Um, But we're also farmers. I mean, that's my primary interest is growing and and cooking 
vegetables, uh, box game is just a way of, um, I can't eat them all myself, so getting rid of them. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you, you've taken that to an extreme. And, and I was going to ask you about the growth. So, uh, yeah, if you're up to 70,000 boxes, that explains a little bit, but we'll come back to that. Um, I was interested to know, I guess, you've got connections uh, out in Europe, you know, with farmers in, in Italy and Spain, and I know you've, you've got a farm out in uh, France. I just wondered at what point did you realise that this this virus was going to have a significant impact on, on the country, if not your personal business? Did you see it coming through the sort of network at Farmers or was there a particular other trigger that you spotted? Um, no, I put my head in the sand for as long as possible, I'm afraid. So I guess it was about three weeks ago that we, I mean, when we when it did become evident that it was going to be serious, you know, so I think just before the lockdown, uh, I think we did respond uh, very quickly then, but we, we were really taken by surprise when our, our website was just overwhelmed. I mean, to the point when we had to close it, actually. So you'd say, you know, that should be a great thing for business. You've got so many customers, you know, you can't. But actually, it was pretty disastrous having to close it because that just upset our our regular customers who were the ones that we are so dependent on i mean we are a business that thrives on um you know on repeat custom and we're not desperately interested in selling one-off purchases to people it's just not what we're set up to do so it has been quite a trying time um yeah, that first week, I think, wasn't it? Because I'm one of your regular customers and I had a phone call, a very apologetic um, person. And to be fair, I was very understanding because being in the restaurant industry, we've obviously been hit hard. But he was saying you'd had something like three weeks of Christmas orders in 24 hours. That, oh, that this we had, it was unbelievable. We had something like 43 million impressions on the website in um, uh, in a week or something, which is just unbelievable. And uh, it's a real tribute to our uh, our IT team that they that they kept it all running really we had to launch a new website in a in a matter of days i mean it was a website that was under development but it had to be brought forward because the old one was was going to fall over and uh, you know so to do that so quickly i mean and generally throughout the business the way people have responded has been you know phenomenal you know you find all those things that you've been telling yourself that are impossible to do uh, suddenly become possible and you know, it's it's you know obviously we're one of the very lucky companies that uh, are continuing to trade and you know may see an uplift in our trade whether it will last you know in the long term remains to be seen uh, but it has been pretty challenging nonetheless you you fairly recently went employee owned which obviously changes the dynamic a little bit about decision making you've been by the sounds of it, impressed that they literally stepped up and, and took control? Yeah, I think we've had roughly half the absenteeism of most businesses. I mean, I hope that doesn't mean that people are taking foolish risks with their health and, and other people's. I don't think it is. I think people are being sensible. But yeah, the commitment of staff, you know, from we have sales people who we no longer you know we've got more sales than we need so they're out driving vans uh, we've got had to close our restaurant so we've got chefs and waiters packing veg box you know the IT team has been phenomenal in you know stepping up most of the marketing team have been moving over to customer services to deal with the um, you know all the um, changes that we've had to make with customers so you know it's just throughout the business it's been phenomenal how people have responded 
you know, sometimes, mostly very willingly, uh, um, there is, you know, anxiety, um, particularly last week, I think. Um, you know, and just everything's had to change just, you know, from how we serve the lunches at lunchtime. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just been a phenomenal pace of change. And now having to talk to our growers and um, about increasing cropping plans because you know, it looks like we're going to run out of just about everything. Um, yeah, it's just – and the pace of change and the responsiveness and, you know, the directors and senior management team there, the way they've reacted has has been great because – I don't know. We are all conditioned, I think, you know, virtually all of us to believe that the world is going to carry on more or less as we've experienced it. I think that's just part of human nature, actually. And it's a ridiculous assumption because it's changing around us normally in incremental ways all the time. And, and this, this crisis uh, has shown, has really brought to people saying that the world is changing and it's, you know, it's change, can change very rapidly. And things that people deemed impossible, impractical, undoable, you know, suddenly they do become uh, doable. So, you know, I do hope that there are some positives that will come out of that, that we don't have to continue on the track that we have been on because that's viewed as being the only track that's commercially practical. Um, you know, if we can do this to address uh, coronavirus, then we can take similar measures to address climate change and social exclusion and... Um, you know, I hope that is remembered when the dust settles after this. Yeah, I hope so too. I think there is a potential, and I, and I knew you'd be a good person to speak to um, about some of the potential positive aspects of, of community and local. And, and I'll come in back into that um, in a minute. Um, but but first of all, so so just operationally behind the scenes, it sounded like you you literally you know you, those forty one million hits or whatever it was crashed the system. And you almost needed to rebuild. And I know you were, even when we were speaking six months ago, you were sort of uh, mildly irritated, I suppose, by the complexity that had taken over the business with regards to choice and, and the fact that you really always wanted to follow the seasons and sort of sell what was within season. What have you done to strip back the simplicity of the business so that you can at least you know, continue to provide service uh, in these times? Well, we are really gone back pretty much to selling veg boxes because it turns out that packing all the other things, the bespoke orders for people, um, you know, it just imposed such complexity and hence cost on the business that we have found that we can just, if we go back to just being a simple veg box business, we can pack a phenomenal number and we can deliver a phenomenal, because the delivery, you know, when you get to the doorstep is so much simpler um, you know, will that satisfy our customers in the long run? I, you know, I think with some, you know, real understanding of how we fit into our customers' lives, we can have an offer which will probably be better priced and in some ways more exciting in that it will be seasonal than I think we've been drawn in over five or 10 years into kind of, I don't know, sort of imitating a cardo or something. I don't want to be like a cardo. I want to be a farmer delivering the very best produce from my farm and the co-op that supplies us. And, and uh, you know, I'm really not interested in selling, you know, apples from Hawke's Bay in New Zealand in, in July. And, and, you know, I really hope that we can use this as a, as a bit of an opportunity, really, to get back to what we do best 
Um, and it kind of, there is obviously a real risk in this, that when this is all over and if everyone wants to go back to exerting their choice and their power as a consumer stroke food citizen, you know, will we be able to um, maintain such a sort of slightly dogmatic position? And to which I would answer, I think it depends how we do it. I mean, we have to do it, um, you know, with a yeah, sensitivity and a knowledge about how we fit into our, our customers' lives. But I don't think that means, you know, selling. I think we have about, we did have about 250 one side different items we were selling. You know, I, I can see that reducing pretty, pretty radically. Um, and and just not selling the things, you know, I'd like to say not sell the things that have a high carbon footprint, not sell the things that come from suppliers that we don't know as well as we'd like to know our suppliers. Um, yeah, to yeah, get back to little maybe to get back to a little bit where we started. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. I'm I'm equally as excited in some ways. You know, just over the years in in my own sort of restaurant business, we add complexity to things and in some ways it feels like a little bit of a reset and and inevitably we're going to come out of this i think with with less demand and it's going to be a staggered release you know in in the restaurant sector i can't see it going back to just going to cram your restaurants full of people instantaneously but in many ways yeah i'm excited by sort of getting back to that simplicity and taking on taking off some of the bolt on stuff it seems to be you know the capitalist thing that you as a market develops you know it gets segmented and you know different people can have exactly what they want exactly when they want it where they want it and and we just end up running harder and harder to chase those things to to kind of perpetuate this myth that you can have whatever you want whenever you want it, wherever you want it, and probably pay whatever you want for it. I mean, clearly that doesn't work. It doesn't work commercially. It doesn't work socially. And it certainly doesn't work environmentally. And and so we really need to um, question uh, the, yeah, the, the, the whole thing around choice, I think, which is fundamentally incompatible with sustainability. Mm. Well, I, I hope it does create an opportunity to reset. So talking about supply, um, I've seen quite a lot in the press about uh, a sort of a, a, an army. I think there was called a land army that was going to be needed for the British kind of producer um, because of the fact that, you, you know, we can't we haven't got the freedom of movement to bring over the sort of the normal picking force from Europe. Um, what, what's your uh, sort of understanding, I suppose, at the moment? Are we are we heading into I know we're in that gap at the moment between sort of, um, you know, the, the winter produce and the spring produce being available. Are we going to have problems with picking in the UK this spring? Um, there will be problems, you know, whether they'll be surmountable, um, I think depends on your, your situation. So yeah, we are April, you know, it's normally the hungry gap, but when we start planting in earnest, so we are normally taking on people in the fields at this time of year. And we've been inundated by UK applicants. And we always get a few, and the great challenge is to sift out those who are mentally and physically capable of doing the job in the long run, because we do find with UK nationals who, who you know, are very, on the whole, very removed from the agrarian life and possibly removed from physical work, that, that most of them, the huge majority, don't even last to the end of the first week. You know, probably as high as 80% will drop out which is really frustrating for everyone, actually. So we go now we go to great lengths. We have a kind of induction day where we really, really emphasise, you know, what the work is going to be like. Um, 
And we have uh, actually, well, we've been inundated with applicants and uh, we think so far the ones that we have taken on seem to be pretty promising. So, you know, for, I've always had mixed feelings about the influx of East European labour and, and the fact and it unquestionably has depressed wage levels in the UK at the, at the lower level. You know, that was my one bit of sympathy for Brexit voters, actually, <laughs> was that, you know, I felt that that was really, really unfair. And, it, and, and also in agriculture, I'm afraid to say it has enabled a kind of almost a reversion to kind of Victorian employment practices. Um, and so, you know, actually now UK growers to get their strawberries picked and whatever are going to have to look long and hard about, you know, how they manage their staff and, and would they actually do that job themselves? Because the honest truth in 99% of cases is they wouldn't go anywhere near it, yet they're very willing to say that other UK nationals are lazy, work shy and so on. But, I mean, the truth is that most of them are treating their staff like shit, actually, and, and paying them very poorly. And I think this is a bit of a wake-up call because they are going to have to, you know, look after people better. Anyway, we 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 started the process at Riverford last year of of trying very hard to get more UK nationals in, and found with surprising success actually. So this year it's been, you know, when we got the call that our East Europeans weren't going to be able to come, who are mostly people who have worked for us for many years um, through the summer. Uh, you know, we were pretty well positions to ramp up our effort to um, recruit uh, UK nationals and it's going really well I mean um, you know we've got a team of them picking wild garlic in the woods and grading it at the moment the polytunnel team who are just starting to plant tomatoes and peppers you know we're up fully up to staff there and they seem to be um, you know happy and doing a good job so it's it's yeah quite exciting times actually in that way. Yeah. Does some of that come back to this issue around food being too cheap? Uh, and, and is it going to, I mean, I guess you're having to pay presumably the same. Um, I read a little bit about uh, a chap who was talking about asparagus saying not, not only is it a case of being willing to do it, but actually that cutting asparagus is, is quite a skilled job. And he was talking about whether he would need to plough, I think it was something like a million pounds worth of asparagus back into the field if he couldn't find people to pick it so yeah is it, is it also the fact of a, of a skilled labor and is it is it inevitably going to have an impact on cost do you think or is that, is that not necessary um some of the jobs are yeah really quite skilled um others less so i would say <clears throat> given the right attitude and you know physical ability you know most people can be pretty useful within a week i mean they're not going to be as useful as you know a seasoned experienced uh, picker but um it does you know it does require greater management input to make inexperienced people effective um but you know that's the job of management and they should be willing to do that and take the time to to train people and you know we we always have you know quite a lot of inexperienced people joining us every year and 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 you know the best of them can be effective very quickly, but it, that does require putting the effort into making sure that you understand what they want from the job and making sure you understand what they need to know in order to be able to do the job effectively. And I'm afraid to say, I think most uh, UK farmers and growers are pretty poor at that. I mean, with an East European, it's the contract is very simple with them, really. You know, they're there, you give them some money and they do what you tell them to. And that's, you know, it, they have, on the whole, I'm afraid to say, pretty low expectations of their employers. I don't know whether that comes from being part of an ex-Soviet ex, ex -Soviet Union 
but that seems to be the case. And, and that has allowed UK employers to get away with, I would say, some pretty regressive employment practices. Yeah, well, I, I, I share your optimism that it feels in many ways, you know, it's leading to lots of changes. Uh, and that could be one of them. Um, this issue around this sort of this food gap then between the British and the European season, are you still able to import from Europe at the moment to fill that gap? Or is that becoming more challenging? Um, actually, so far, we're not having any trouble getting anything through. We've, we've just last week was our first big week on, on my farm in France. So we'll have two or three trucks a week coming from there. Um, and, you know, also from further south, you know, from the south of Spain, Andalusia, that will, you know, probably have um, three or four trucks a week coming from there as well. And so far, they're not having any trouble getting through. The growers seem to be able to get the stuff uh, picked okay. There are some issues, so there are no return loads. Um, so normally, you know, they come up full of vegetables and go back full of, well, all sorts of things. I know one went back full of shotgun cartridges. <laughs> one, one was a regular route, but that, none of that's happening anymore. So they're going back empty, I'm afraid. So we're having to pay more for transport. So that's one of the kind of unpredictables, um, of which I'm sure there will be many. But so far, it is managing to get through, and there are no problems at customs or ferries or on the roads. And um, yeah, no, the haulage seems to be going pretty smoothly so far. Okay, and, and that means that you're able to meet your existing demand, albeit you're closed to new customers at the moment. Do you think that's really yeah? Ongoing? We we are, we are trying to ramp it up a bit, so um, you know, to pack more boxes and buy more produce, and you know, serve more customers. But our our real emphasis is making sure that we look after our loyal customers and trying to make sure they they have access to the website to be able to change their orders, to be able to add things without opening the website to you know new customers um who would who just inundate it and then so actually distinguishing that it sounds like it should be very easy but actually it is proving a little bit difficult particularly with our customers actually now over 90 percent of our customers are on a standing order which they can change but previously we had 10 or fifteen thousand customers who would just go on I don't know, 48 hours before delivery and order what they wanted that week. And those are the ones. So they're regular customers, but they didn't have a standing order. And those are the ones who, I'm afraid, we haven't been able to serve so so well. But we have managed to get most of them on the standing orders now. And as time goes by, we will we will get better at, at handling our data and, and distinguishing between uh, current and uh, new customers. Yeah, I have to say I was slightly guilty of that guy, and I, I felt guilty because I, I remember our conversation. <laughs> you shouldn't feel guilty. I mean, you know, we are. <laughs> yeah, well, I would like people to be on a standing order. It's it's actually giving us a lot of. And you know, how can we simplify the business actually to give a really good service at what we are best at? And I think that's what we should be doing, and and probably not trying to do the things that we're not you know, so good at. So, you know, probably the range of things we're selling has been a bit wide, you know, so just sell the produce that we really know. And if there's a baker down the road who great bake works great bread, bakes great bread and wants to work with us, then we'll sell his bread. And similarly with the dairy and the eggs that we sell and the limited uh, meat offering. <clears throat> but um, for instance, uh, 
we we'd stopped selling pork, uh, and and I wasn't as happy with where the pork was coming from. I don't think that's a great loss. Um, so yeah, um, it's an opportunity really to to make the business into into what I want it to be, what we want it to be, I should say, as we're now uh, employee owned, um, and it, that which is all about kind of eating your way to a better world, I suppose, be that environmentally, socially, um, and from a nutritional point of view. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's, um, you know, gosh, it's exciting when that Riverford box gets delivered to me, it comes on a, on a Tuesday morning. And uh, yeah, super grateful, I guess, that there's that that comes to the door uh, and is some amazing uh, produce. So thank you for, for keeping it going. It's great. Um, can, can I just ask, has there been changes? I'm conscious that you work with your um, suppliers long term and you agree prices in advance and all of the benefits that means that people can have as actually investing properly. With what's happened in the last sort of three or four weeks, are, are there big price fluctuations? And are you having any challenges with some sort of growers? uh yeah kind of yeah i don't know you know moving to the dark side or whatever or actually uh, no what- no we're not we we do have these very long-term relationships with our growers and, and i think they all you know they know there probably is an opportunity they might be able to go and get a better price elsewhere temporarily but honestly by the time you've chased around and found that better price and then they haven't taken or haven't paid for it they've rejected it on quality you are always better off with the regular, dependable customer who does what they say they'll do, which is what Riverford does. I mean, I find this, I have a farm, the farm in France, we have tried to sell to other customers uh, locally. And, you know, I've just been hugely disappointed by the, by the bullshit, you know, the, the programs that don't materialize, the people who take the produce and don't pay for it, or they reject it, and then they decide they're only going to pay for what they've, the proportion they've used. And, you know, just really, you know, Riverford doesn't do that. And as a result, our, our suppliers are really standing by us. But the fact that we have these long-term relationships and everything's, you know, produced on a program, which may be 18 months, you know, forward, does mean that we are not the most responsive business you know in terms of ramping up um you know when our our, when demand increases we find it hard to respond to that and we we are talking to our growers about increasing the the um the uh, cropping program uh and and with some success and i think we will have more produce coming on board but i i just i would um you know to go out start buying all over the place off the market not knowing where it's coming from in order to you know, exploit this situation and it's just not something that we're prepared to do. I mean, we want to come out of this being a better business, you know, even more true to our values rather than, you know, using it in a opportunistic, perhaps even slightly exploitative way just to to grow. That is not something that we're, we're willing to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're talking about the sort of optimism of, of how we come out the other side. I'm conscious of time. I know you have to leave in a second. So um, I've, I've been really sort of excited, I suppose, to see my local high street where I am in, in Bournemouth, uh, where there is a butcher's and a baker's and a greengrocer's, and they've never been busier. And this sort of feeling of, although it's sort of social uh, isolation, you know, it's um, it's not really social it should be physical isolation and actually that sense of community seems to be improving and maybe people recognizing that that sort of we do need the smaller local suppliers and we shouldn't just rely on this kind of uh, global i suppose a system that we're used to 
Do you see any positives sort of coming out the other side of this sort of societal or, or kind of life positive? Because you're a pretty big picture on this sort of stuff. Big picture yeah. thing. Um, yes, no, I, I definitely do. Yeah, we have been approached by a lot of local producers of cheese, bread, um, chocolate, fish, you know, and uh, <clears throat> because they were supplying the catering trade, and, and as I'm sure you're only too aware, Mark, that market has largely disappeared for them. And and would we sell their produce? And really. I don't. We would be. We would find it very hard to do. But what I have, what they, what's handed, what I've suggested they do, and what a lot of them have, is to come together to themselves, do their own local home delivery. And there are just so many of those initiatives um, starting. And as you say, you know, small businesses, small local businesses, talking together uh, and and helping each other and and being supported by their community. And you know, I think that is just wonderful. And you know, I would always. You know, if you can find, you know, a good ethical food producers and, and, and you really believe what they're saying, that they're not bullshit artists, then, um, then uh, you know, really support them. And, and that's, you know, I, I see that, that happening around us locally in Devon. And um, yeah, I think that's very encouraging. I mean, the, you know, less encouraging. I, you know, I do slightly lament what I think is an inevitable shift to online retail and the devastation that that's going to wreak in our high streets um you know probably applies more to non-food than that but i'm sure we'll see it in food as well and and i just think we need a government that is going to look at that really carefully and um i mean it's mainly you know how are we going to tax these companies who are you know i, I gather that uh, amazon pays its self-employed drivers um, around about a pound, sometimes less than a pound per delivery. I mean, that is, you know, that is, you just cannot, you know, I, I really struggle to see how even a self-employed van driver can live on that. But, you know, certainly if you're going to pay holiday pay, you know, sickness, you're going to pay the, the new um, apprenticeship levy, you're going to pay pensions, you're going to do some training for people, you know, all those things which an employer should be doing, you know, you really, you know, the gig economy isn't supporting any of that. It's just ripping us all off, actually. You know, they're not paying rates. They're not paying national insurance. They're not paying tax, you know, and Google and, and sorry, not Google, Amazon and uh, Uber and, and all the other digital companies that are profiting from that. Actually, it does include Google are, um, you know, and paying bugger all tax. You know, we really need to look at, you know, how we are going to address that because otherwise we are just massacring the high street, you know, who are paying the tax and who are paying the rates. And, um, yeah, no, so I think there does need to be a very careful look at how we protect our high streets and, and make sure that, that, you know, that commerce is fair, uh, essentially. Um, and unfortunately, with us cozying up to America rather than Europe, I think that becomes uh, less likely. I'm not sure I've answered your question there, Mark. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. And I, I think there's going to be an, an absolute, uh, you know, essential response because the government, you know, is, is just pumping out so much cash, isn't it? They're going to need to find some tax revenue. So I guess 
like you say, sometimes things that looked impossible before all of a sudden have to become possible because without working out how to tax the digital sector, uh, they're not going to generate the revenue that we're going to need to get out of this hole. Uh, final thing, you must be very pleased at least of, of some sort of environmental relief for the planet, not to have all the planes and all the kind of stuff going on uh, at the moment, not seeing nature taking a, taking a huge breath. Um, I got up with uh, my wife and stepdaughter and uh, nephews um, <clears throat> yesterday and we went to uh, hear the uh, dawn chorus, actually. And it was just lovely you know, to hear the birds waking up and not a car to be heard anywhere, not an aeroplane. There were a few bloody farmers making a racket at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but it is that sort of peace. I mean, it's, it's lovely. And, you know, um, lots of people are saying this about reevaluating our lives and slowing down and appreciating what's, you know, really important to us. Uh, and, you know, I hope some of that lasts you know the, the, the you know that we make sure that we can all have what we need as opposed to what a small minority want um uh, you know hopefully we can focus on that a bit yeah hopefully it's a time for breath and change right you uh, are out of time you need to get out into into the fields but um thanks guy you know really appreciate you taking the time out i'm really pleased that you're still uh, super busy and i hope it does create the opportunities that you want to to reset the business and thanks bark and, and good luck with you i'm sure you're having a very difficult time and um yeah yeah my <laughs> revenue is zero i think I'm, I'm technically insolvent but uh i enjoy having these chats at least to keep <laughs> you still sound fairly chipper it's admirable <laughs> thanks guy i might be coming down for a picking job i'm gonna learn how to cut yeah, I know. all right see you mark see you soon bye, bye. So there you have it. I very much hope you enjoyed that conversation with Guy. Uh, I always enjoy catching up with Guy. He's not sure on an opinion and a perspective or two. Uh, and he's a sort of fairly uh, deliberately, I suppose, uh, antagonistic or, or controversial sometimes in his perspective. So I knew he'd have some good opinions on the impact of the current crisis. And uh, yeah, really good to hear that it's predominantly having a positive impact on his business. And in many ways, as, as it is the case with a lot of business people I'm speaking to, it's a case of sort of stripping back their businesses to the early reasons for it to uh, start. And in many ways, we're all sort of simplifying our businesses off the back of the challenge. So hope you enjoyed it um i'll be back soon with a few more uh, coronavirus related episodes and remember if you can please go to patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality or directly to our website humans of hospitality.co.uk sign up for our weekly newsletter or become a patreon uh, of the podcast would be hugely appreciated okay thanks so much and uh, we'll speak again soon